Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the all-pay-per-view edition of If You Smell What The Arch Is Cooking. I'm your host, Archie Mitchell, and tonight we will be reviewing WWE Clash at the Castle, NXT Worlds Collide, and AEW All Out. We also have some quick hits, and we also have a Grinds My Gears. A lot going on in the world of professional wrestling, a lot going on in the world today, um, so to speak, as I'm actually recording this uh today we learned that the passing of queen elizabeth over there in the uk our hearts and our prayers and thoughts go out to her family uh, i was speaking to my wife earlier today and i said you know you didn't really ever hear anything bad about the queen everyone seemed to always love her and respect her so i mean it's always good to see someone that is a trusted member of i, I don't want to say politics because she's a queen <laughs> She's not voted in their position, but uh, it, it's just nice to see someone who is in that type of position that doesn't use it to their own self-gain, or at least I never heard of something like that happening. So, uh, also a lot going on in AEW, and we will get into that a little later on, but I want to thank you guys for once again joining me and uh, being an amazing support system here. Uh, we look over at the uh, numbers every day of our viewers and who's uh, watching and listening. And they just can continue to keep growing on every show. So thank you guys for continuing to be here for us on WrestleNet Radio and the We Can't Wrestle Podcast Network. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into some quick hits. And our first quick hit this week Malachi Black requests his release from AEW, and at first it was denied. Uh, I'm, a, I'm look. I'm going to be honest here. If a guy the caliber of Malachi Black joined my company uh, around a year ago and then asked for his release, yeah, I'd probably deny it too, um, because we don't want him going back to the E. You know, get letting Triple H get back one of his weapons. But after a few days and after the All Out pay per view. Uh, This is a small spoiler, so if you want to fast forward right now through a couple of seconds, go right ahead. It appears that Malachi Black did get his release from AEW, but with some contingencies. Uh, We don't know what those contingencies are, but I assume it's a 90-day no-compete clause. Whatever the case, he's apparently been feeling some burnout and dealing with some demons. I wish him the absolute best, and whatever happens, I hope that he eventually pops up. Tommy and... Is someone that I've been watching for about 10 years. And then I finally see him on the main stage in NXT as Aleister Black. He wasn't having too good of a time there when he got to the main roster. When he finally got to AEW as Malachi Black and they put him over Cody Rhodes, I assumed this guy was going to the moon and they were giving him a world title shot. But that wasn't the case. But in any indication, request was originally denied. Request finally granted with some... uh, contingencies and it'll be interesting to see what happens now and what Tony Khan tries to do in regards to damage control uh, losing a lot of big names over the next uh, couple of weeks number two Triple H and Chris Jericho take shots at one another uh, on Twitter Chris Jericho uh, heard a recent interview from Triple H and during it Triple H was asked why are you bitter because they beat you on Wednesday nights when NXT was on Wednesday nights battling Dynamite. And Triple H gave a very, very petty answer. And he said, 
They beat our developmental station. They beat NXT. Congratulations. Good for them. He did not answer anything else. That was what he exactly said to the team. Chris Jericho, on the other hand, a few days later said, oh, so now it's their developmental. But when before we got our TV deal, they were pegging it to be the number one brand for the longest time. And it was even doing better than Raw and SmackDown in regards to pay-per-views. Jericho then fired back and said, our company is better. We don't need to think about the WWE. My boss has more money than his boss. And we don't need to mention the WWE. Chris, that's a load of bullshit. You and everyone on the AEW roster mentions the WWE on a daily basis. If it's not in a tweet or an Instagram post, it's on Friday Night Rampage, Wednesday Night Dynamite. It's on pay-per-view. Whenever one of you guys get a mic or a, a chance to dig at the WWE, you do. So, it this is all a little petty, but it's to be expected. It's what you see happening in wrestling companies all the time. Whatever the case may be, I'm interested to see what happens now, as I've been saying with Triple H, in the command seat and moving forward, what continues to happen with AEW and how much competition WWE really thinks that they truly are. And finally, quick hit number three, Pat McAfee to leave SmackDown for now and join the college game day show on ESPN. Uh, that is a show that talks about college football. Obviously, it's in, in its entirety and, uh, you know, examines what's going on, what we can expect. Pat is a great voice on any show. His show uh, that he has on YouTube that goes along with his podcast is phenomenal. And him on SmackDown has brought enough breath of fresh air to the WWE announcing. And I think that with Vince McMahon now being gone, he and Michael Cole became a really great commentary unit. But Pat loves the sport of football, whether it be college or professional. So obviously this man was going to take the bigger job in his opinion. Triple H tweeted out that Pat approached him. He told him the opportunity that he had, but he would still stay on SmackDown if he had to wait out the rest of his contract. And Triple H said that they love Pat. And they want to give him this opportunity, and they know he'll be back on SmackDown once college football is done. So, we want to wish Pat the absolute best on his new job. Here from the uh, If You Smell What The Arch Is Cooking podcast, I hope that he does a great job there. I know I'll be watching, and I cannot wait to see him back on SmackDown whenever he is ready to return. So, moving forward now. Let's go ahead and take a look at the first show review tonight, and that is WWE Clash at the Castle. And just a reminder that if you smell what the arch is cooking, is an intellectual property of the We Can't Wrestle podcast and WrestleNet Radio Network. Thank you for listening. We love you guys. So WWE Clash at the Castle. At the castle, the first ever pay-per-view in over 30 years overseas in the UK. That's right. It's been 30 years. SummerSlam 92 was the last time they were there, and we know how great of a show that was. Well, Clash at the Castle was a great show also. 
we get an incredible highlight package to open the show. I'll say it before, like I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. No one does video like WWE when it comes to a highlight package or a promo or a vignette. Our opening bout will be Bailey, Dakota Kai, and Io Sky taking on Asuka, Alexa Bliss, and the Raw Women's Champion, Bianca Belair. Entertaining opening match. A lot of action happening all around the ring. Bliss is taking more risk, and her flip off the apron looked good. Asuka continues to impress. And Bianca is okay, but she's getting a little sloppy lately. I can get the, I can let that go uh, because Dakota and Io weren't perfect either. Great double team suplex on Bailey and a lot of continued action between all six women. Dakota hit her kick in the corner. Bailey landed her face buster and then Io hit the moonsault for a great triple team. Bailey got the win for her team in 22 minutes and a really good start to this premium live event. Bret Hart is shown in the front row and he looks so thrilled to be there, said no one ever. And that brings us to our next matchup, which is Sheamus versus Walter. Before the match, we saw Giovanni Vinci rejoin Imperium, and a brawl broke out between Holland, Dunn, Kaiser, and Vinci to the back. That left it just Sheamus and Walter. The match itself was a hard-hitting fight. Two guys beating the crap out of each other with chops and right hands throughout. Sheamus beat down Walter with a brogue kick, white noise, and felt the cross, but the champ kicked out at two. Walter brutalized Sheamus with chops, two power bombs, and a vicious dropkick, and the challenger again kicked out. Walter finally hit a low clothesline and picked up the win in 30 minutes. My God, I love this match. I think it's the show stealer, and we're only two matches in, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, to see the way these two guys just beat the crap out of each other, like I said before, absolutely amazing. Post-match, the fans showed their respects to both men and gave Sheamus a standing ovation, even in defeat. We go to our next matchup, which is Shayna Baszler taking on Liv Morgan for the SmackDown Women's title. This was actually a good matchup, and Liv Morgan upped her game. We saw a lot of back-and-forth action with Baszler trying to punish Morgan, but the champion fighting back, locking in some decent-looking submissions. Liv hurt the arm of Baszler with an armbar, and Shayna couldn't lock in her finisher because of it. Liv would make another comeback and hit her finisher. Morgan picked up the win in 18 minutes and is still... The SmackDown Women's Champion, Liv Morgan, didn't think uh, I'd love this match, absolutely, uh, honestly. Liv Morgan hasn't been doing the absolute best, but she surprised me here. And a real challenger like Shayna Baszler, uh, this kind of cemented her title reign. UK legend Adrian Street and Miss Linda are shown in the crowd. And I honestly thought he passed away a couple of years ago, ladies and gentlemen. Back up to the ring, and it's going to be Edge and Mysterio taking on Balor and Priest. This match was a quick-paced contest between all four involved. Priest and Balor had a good early advantage and forced Edge and Ray to keep coming back. The veterans did all they could and would even saw Edge hit a 6-1-9. Dominic caused a distraction. This allowed Ray to hit a bighorn conrana on Balor from the top rope. Rhea destroyed Dominic, but Ray hit a 6-1-9, and then Edge hit a spear and picked up the win in about 25 minutes. Good match, but I didn't agree with the ending. There was far too much outside interference. Post-match, Dominic Lobo blowed Edge and then clotheslined his father. Finally, he turned, but why not during the match? The crowd booed and Judgment Day cheered on from the floor. They looked like jackals just watching all the miserableness that was going on in the ring. They announced the attendance, and it's just shy of 63,000 fans. 
more than SummerSlam this year. Great turnout for the WWE across the pond. We go back up to the ring for Matt Riddle versus Seth Rollins. We saw two guys throwing everything they had at one another in this one. We saw flips, finishers, and a fight all in one. It was a good mixture and had the crowd on their feet. Riddle used a few different suplexes, even countering a superplex into a fisherman buster. Rollins hit a pedigree but couldn't put Riddle away. Riddle went crazy and pounded down on the back of Rollins' head, but then made a mistake on the outside. Rollins hit a stomp and then a curb stomp from the second rope and got the win in 27 minutes. Absolutely incredible matchup. I have to say both these guys threw caution to the wind and just went at it. Tyson Fury is shown ringside, and then we get a highlight package for Reigns versus McIntyre. Crowd pops when they hear Drew's Broken Dreams theme, and we are ready for our main event. Roman Reigns taking on Drew McIntyre in an absolute war between the two top guys in WWE right now. Started off slow with a nice figuring out process and both guys trying to figure out each other from the get-go. Drew began to make uh, a uh, turn and take it to Roman and punish the champion, but Roman fought back again and again and we were at a stalemate. The fight raged on and we saw both men kick out of each other's finishers. The ref then got knocked out and Austin Theory tried to cash in, but Tyson Fury knocked him the hell out. I, I can't explain to you what a punch by Tyson Fury here. We saw a spear and claymore from Drew, but somehow the referee then got pulled out of the ring and it got revealed to be Solo Sequoia is the one that did it. The brother of the Usos then dropped McIntyre in the top rope. Reigns hit a spear and got the win. It's not the ending I wanted, but it was a damn good matchup. Post-match, Tyson Fury shook Roman's hand and then had a sing-along with Drew McIntyre to end the show. Uh, giving Clash at the Castle a 4.5 out of 5. The entire show was almost perfect and had a lot of great moments. NXT, Worlds Collide, and AEW All Out have a lot to live up to here because Clash at the Castle set a great tone on Saturday for the WWE. So we will now go ahead and go to our NXT Worlds Collide pay-per-view review. And also a reminder to listen to, if you smell what the arch is cooking, the year that was a slice in time, Mark's Indie Spotlight, and the We Can't Wrestle podcast, the one that started it all right here on WrestleNet Radio. And NXT 2.0, another amazing highlight package for NXT and NXT UK starts us off. The new tagline, the game has evolved, is absolutely amazing in my opinion. And we go to the ring for our opening bout. It's Ricochet taking on Carmelo Hayes for the North American title. This started off fast-paced and on fire as both men pulled out all the stops. Ricochet was taking it to Carmelo inside and outside of the ring until Trick got involved and the distraction allowed Hayes to get the upper hand. We then watched these two men trade high-risk shots and even go for a double springboard and meet in midair. Trick got involved again, but Ricochet took him out, and it cost him. Hayes hit a suplex turned into a cutter and only got a two-count. Again, back and forth, and Ricochet hit a superplex for a two as well, and these two are back to even once again. Trick got involved for a third time, but Ricochet got rid of him. Ricochet went for the shooting star press. Carmelo moved. Ricochet landed on his feet. 
and Hayes hooked him with a roll-up and got the win in 19 minutes. What a great opener. Two great opening matches for two great shows, in my opinion. Carmelo Hayes is a great North American champion, and I am very happy to see Ricochet back in NXT. Incredible vignette for the career of Miko Satomura. She truly is the final boss. We then go to footage from earlier today of Roderick Strong being laid out in the parking lot. I wonder who did it. The Creeds get hyped up backstage, and we go to the ring for our next matchup. It is our first unification match of the night. Gallus taking on Pretty Deadly, taking on the NXT Tag Team Champions, the Creeds, taking on Briggs and Jensen, who are the NXT UK Tag Team Champions. We start as a brawl between all eight guys, and action is all over the ring. The Creeds take out Gallus and Briggs and Jensen, but are immediately brought down by Pretty Deadly. Jensen and Briggs take out PD, and then both of them fly to the outside, taking out everyone. We see each team get highlighted throughout the entire match, but the Creeds just kept taking control. Julius and Brutus hit a sick version of the Doomsday device, and Gallus got eliminated. But they weren't done there because they took Briggs and Jensen with them. Both teams brawled to the back, and Briggs and Jensen got the cute, actually, which I didn't know was possible in a Fatal 4-Way elimination match. Pretty Deadly then took out Briggs and Jensen on their way out of the ring. And we were now down to two teams. Kit and Prince tried to throw the Creeds off, but Brutus and Julius powered out and kept coming back. The ref went down, and then Damon kept stopped Kit from using a chair, but then turned on Diamond Mine and used a chair on Julius. Pretty Deadly got the win in 28 minutes. Your winners and new NXT Unified Tag Team Champions, Pretty Deadly. This was exactly what it was supposed to be, and I definitely enjoyed it. I'm not a fan of Pretty Deadly, but you can't deny a great tag team, and I like the swerve here. I'm kind of wondering what happened there with Damon Kep. We get a vignette for Blair Davenport and her stellar career in NXT UK and Japan. Tony D and Stax are now talking backstage, and Tony mentions he let all of Legato go. He asks Cameron Grimes to join his family, and Grimes walks off. Mandy Rose then gets her vignette next, and we see the entire run as her NXT Women's Championship reign, which is almost at a year. Mandy has definitely stepped up her game since coming back to NXT, and it's a wonder why they weren't using her like this on the main roster. So it's time now for our triple threat for the unification of the women's title. Mandy Rose taking on Miko Satomura, taking on Blair Davenport. Quick shots and pins start us off, and each woman trying to gain momentum. They send Minko to the outside, and Mandy takes control of Davenport. Mandy hit a nice-looking fall-away slam for two, and Davenport began to fight back. Minko came in and sent Rose to the outside, and now Davenport took it to Satomura. All three got in the ring, and it was a battle for who would win. Blair hit her finisher, but Minko kicked out. We saw a roll-up by Davenport on Rose, but again, only two. Miko was looking for a German suplex, but Mandy nailed both with her wicked-looking knee strike and got the pin on Davenport in 14 minutes. Your winner and new unified NXT Women's Champion, Mandy Rose. Very good women's match. The right woman won, in my opinion, because she's truly the face of NXT's women division. It only makes sense. Mackenzie then interviews Wesley, and he's going to go one-on-one with J.D. McDowell this Tuesday night on NXT 2.0. Wes says that J.D. can get as dark as he wants. He won't like the result, though. Women's tag team title action now is Dewdrop and Nikki A.S.H. take on Caden and Chance. 
this was decent, and I was glad to see Dewdrop and Nikki to take control early on. Uh, double team moves on both Caden and Chance by the challengers. Dewdrop was about to take Chance off the top rope, but toxic attraction caused the distraction. I know that rhymes. Nikki attacked Gigi and JC on the outside, but Caden took out Dewdrop. We saw Chance and Caden's finisher, and the champs retained the women's tag titles at the 13-minute mark. It was okay, no complaints. The dyad then discussed Joe Gacy and Cameron Grimes, but get interrupted by Grayson Waller. He makes fun of them, and then McKenzie comes up and asks him about his matchup with Apollo Crews. Waller acts annoying as fuck, and then walks off. That's all I got on that one. The vignette for the NXT and NXT UK title matchup is fantastic and really shows you the entire history of both titles. Tyler Bate and uh, Braun Breaker are our main event here, ladies and gentlemen. What a hard-hitting main event between two young superstars. Breaker used his strength and hit an amazing-looking suplex, turned into a slam, but Bate kicked out. We saw Tyler hit the Tyler driver, the strong boy, and everything he had, but Breaker kept powering out. We saw the Breaker slam, but Bate reached the ropes in time, and the match raged on. Back and forth, they went until Tyler made a mistake, and that cost him. Breaker hit another finisher and picked up a huge win for this youngster at the 22-minute mark, your winner and new NXT Unified Champion, Braun Breaker. A good main event to cap off the night. Post-match, Bate hands Braun both titles as the show of respect and new champion celebrates to end this premium event. I'm giving NXT Worlds Collide a 4.5 out of 5 because my only gripe was NXT UK got shut down. I think Miko should have won only because you know what kind of prestige she would bring to that title. And I also think Ricochet should have won the North American title. But all in all, great pay-per-view. No real gripes, I got to be honest. Just me telling you my opinion on how I think the show should have went. And it's now time for our final review. And that is NXT All Out. And one last reminder. Check out the Reliving the Extreme podcast with Nate, Aaron, and Chad. One of my favorite shows on the WrestleNet Radio Network. When you relive everything that's happened at ECW since day one. AEW All Out was the last pay-per-view of Sunday night. Covering only one pre-show match here because how how big of a card it was. So let's go to the ring. It's Eddie Kingston taking on Tomohiro Ishii. Hard-hitting battle between two great veterans who wouldn't give up. They chopped, punched, and kicked one another down throughout the entire match until neither could stand. Eddie tried for his back fist, but Ishii just took it. Tomohiro made one mistake and went for a suplex, but Eddie reversed it and hit Northern Lights suplex of his own. Got the win in 10 minutes. Very good matchup. Post-match, Eddie tries to show respect. Ishii walks off and just doesn't want to be dealt with it. I'm hoping that this means we get a third matchup between these two because Ishii has one win and Eddie now has one as well. The main show begins and we are welcomed by Excalibur, Taz, and Tony Schiavone. We go to the ring for our opening match, the Casino Battle Royal. And it's a host of superstars, but the first ones that are going to come out here are Rush, Andrade, Wheeler Yuta, Phoenix, Claudio, uh, Dante Martin, Pentagon, and then the Joker is the last one in. And this was a car crash of epic proportions, and I mean that as a compliment. The powerbomb in the ladder match from Andrade to Yuta was sick. 
and the destroyer on the ladder match from Pentagon to Andrade was even worse. Everyone was down, and a group of hooded wrestlers hit the ring and beat down anyone standing. One finally went up and got the chip, but the Joker hadn't made his way out yet. He made his way out in, in a White Walker King mask and to roll the Rolling Stones. The masked men revealed to be Stokely Hathaway, the Gun Club, William Morrissey, and Lee Moriarty. The Joker, however, did not take his mask off, and I'm left wondering who the hell is this, ladies and gentlemen. We start off the show with this matchup, and this is what they do to us, meaning we're going to have to be driven crazy the entire pay-per-view or wait until Dynamite. Highlights for the trio's title finals featuring the Elite and the Dark Order are shown, and then we go right to the ring. It's the Elite, Kenny Omega, and the Young Bucks taking on the Dark Order and Adam Page. If you've never seen a trios match, this was it in a nutshell. The Bucks and the Dark Order exchanged super kicks and clotheslines. Page took it to the Bucks, and Omega finally came in. Omega and Page went toe to toe until Nick Jackson got involved and gave Omega the upper hand. The Bucks, Silver, and Reynolds were all down, and it came down to Page and Omega. Reversals and clotheslines went back and forth until Kenny hit a J driller. The Bucks hit a BTE for only a two, and this match just kept going. Silver countered a one-winged angel, but again, only got a two. He held Omega for the buckshot, but uh, Omega ducked, and Hangman hit Silver. Omega got the win in 22 minutes, and your winners and new trios champion, the Elite. Very good action-packed match. We go to Mark Henry's interview with Jade and Athena. They argue because Jade says this will be an easy win, but Athena says she's disrespectful and will get the respect everyone in the locker room deserves. Athena walks off, and I just hope it's a good match. And here we go. It was a little sloppy, and it was quick. Athena took an early advantage, but Hogan and Grace stopped the pin. Jade took over and beat down Athena with pure power. Athena tried to come back, but she was messed with a pump kick, and then Jade got the win with Jaded in five minutes. This could have been on Rampage, not a pay-per-view. Marvez then interviews CM Punk and asks him how he feels about tonight. He says Mox has an easy target on his back. He's not fighting just Punk tonight. He's fighting all of Chicago, and it will definitely be just that, a fight. FTR and Wardlow take on Lethal and the Machine Guns. This is our second of three trios matches tonight, and I get it. Get more people on the show. But three is a bit overdone. All six men went at it, and the Machine Guns were laying in their kicks heavy. Wardlow repowed everyone until Lethal caught him off guard. Lethal hit a big elbow, but only got a two, and the guns tried for a kicking combo again. FDR, FDR hit a big rig and took out both guns. Lethal got caught by Wardlow and ate four power bombs, and at the 28-minute mark, FTR and Wardlow got the win. Went a little long, but it was still good. Post-match, Lethal and company were looking to attack FTR and Wardlow, but Samoa Joe made his return and took out their giant. He threw Dutt in the ring, and then Dax Hardwood's daughter came running down. Dax hit Dutt with a right hand, and his daughter pinned Dutt for three. Feel-good segment here. I understand it. We see a promo package about Starks and Hobbs, and then immediately go to the ring. This was a burial, and I don't know who Starks picked off, but it must be somebody high up. Hobbs beat down Ricky the whole match and never allowed him to make a comeback. Hobbs hit his finisher and got the win in eight minutes. What's going on here? We get a replay of um, from Friday, an interview with the acclaimed and Lee and Swerve Scott uh, got personal, and these two teams are ready. So we go to the ring for our AEW World Tag Team title matchup. The acclaimed Keith Lee and Swerve Scott 
Such an evenly contested tag match between two great teams. Swerved match quickness with Caster, and Bones was able to go one-on-one with Lee. Both teams kept pace, and we saw double-team moves throughout. Even an elbow to the outside by Caster to Swerve. Lee reversed Bowens, and he hit. Uh, he and Swerve hit their double-team finisher to get the win in a tremendous 30-minute match. Now, I said the other match went long. I believe that. This match, though, for a tag-team match, got a perfect amount of time. Everyone hit a spot that made the crowd get off their feet. We got a justifiable, this is awesome chant. I believe it was needed. Great tag team match. We are from all four women in the interim women's title match, and we are ready to go. It's Baker, Sheeta, Hayter, and Storm. The winner will become the interim women's champion as Thunder Rosa is out with injury. They fought all over the ring, the outside, and even their way up the ramp. Baker and Hayter teamed up against their opponents throughout the entire match. Sheeta got carried up the ramp by Hayter and dumped, and it was Storm taking on both Britt and Jamie. Tony was in trouble and could not get away from either one of her opponents. Sheeta finally came back to the match, and the double submission spot that we saw with Hayter and Sheeta and uh, Britt Baker, fantastic here. Uh, Hayter had the match won, but Baker pulled the referee out, and then they were about to argue. Storm came in and hit her finisher. Britt tried to steal the pin, but only got a two. Tony hit two Tornado DDTs. Finally got the win in 20 minutes. Your winner and new interim women's champion, Tony Storm. I'm not a fan. This was an okay matchup. But I will say this. It's nice to see that they're setting something up between her and Thunder Rosa when she does come back. Jungle Boy then went one-on-one with Christian. The youngster made his entrance after his mother smacked Christian at ringside. He waited for the returning Luchasaurus, but the dinosaur came out the heel tunnel and destroyed Jack Perry, Jungle Boy. After Jungle Boy finally got made its way to the ring, Christian hit a spear and a kill switch and got the win. What the fuck? Is Luchasaurus the new Big Show? That's his second heel turn and in, what, a month? Ridiculous. Chris Jericho then took on Brian Danielson. These two had a technically sound match between two great wrestlers. Yes, I said wrestlers. Jericho threw just about every trick he had at Danielson and scored a quite a few near falls. Danielson fought back and his kicks and those devastating hammer elbows had Jericho reeling. Back and forth these two went and neither was giving an inch until Jericho pulled one fast uh, low blow and picked up the win after the Judas effect in just under 30 minutes. Excellent matchup, and I hope this feud continues. As you've seen, the show has now changed from quick matches to more long-term matches. And I guess when you have a show that has like 13 matches on the card, you have to go with some quick matches. But it just feels like they're... Why make the card so big then? It just doesn't feel right. House of Black then took on Sting, Darby Allen, and Miro. Just like the other two trios matches, there was action all over the ring. Matthews and Kings took it to Miro and Allen, leaving Sting and Black to battle in the ring. Miro finally began his comeback, but seemed to not want to tag in his partners. Matthews hit Darby with a pop-up knee strike and gained back control. Miro threw Black around by his hair and seemed like the House of Black was in trouble. Allen blind tagged Sting, and Malachi was about to deliver Black Mass, but Sting used his own mist and blinded black. Allen hit the Last Supper and got the win for his team in 20 minutes again. Way too many trios matches. 
but this was good. I, I'm not going to argue the point that it was not great wrestling action, but now we've had our third trios match, and apparently they have one set up for Dynamite this week as well. And it was finally time for our main event. We got a highlight package of both men, but not a lot going on here because they just had a five-minute match two weeks ago. Uh-huh. Punk and Moxley, one-on-one for the AEW World Heavyweight title. This one was so much more better than their match on Dynamite a few weeks ago, but it didn't take much to top that one. Mox busted Punk open early and caused him to fight back. Punk threw the same kick he had uh, that he did on Dynamite a couple weeks ago that re-injured him, but was able to stay in the match. Mox caught Punk in midair with a bulldog sleeper, but the challenger fought away and found a way to keep the champion on its toes. The hatred between these two was evident throughout the match, and neither was showing any respect. After fighting tooth and nail, Punk finally hit the GTS and got the win in 22 minutes. Your winner and new AEW champion, CM Punk. A war of the main event and very enjoyable, but wait, there's more. Post-match, the arena went black and a voicemail played of Tony Khan begging someone to come back and to be the Joker in the casino ladder match. The amount of money he offered was beeped out, and then a CM Punk promo from ROH began. After the promo video, the Joker was unmasking and puts on a familiar scarf, which got the fans to pop loud. The music played and out walked the returning MJF to a thunderous ovation. The crowd were on their feet, Punk looked pissed, and the show went off the air. There were some quick matches, a couple of squash matches, and a little bit of sloppiness, but still a damn good pay-per-view. Ishii and Kingston, Jericho and Danielson, and Punk and Moxley, and that ending made this show. I am giving AEW All Out, again, a 4.5 out of 5, and before the ending, it was just a 4 because of a few hiccups. Still an amazing pay-per-view, and damn, what a good weekend for wrestling. If you're a wrestling fan, trust me when I tell you this was the way, this was the weekend to be a fan. So, with that being said, there's only one more segment left. And that is what grinds my gears, ladies and gentlemen. My audio got a little messed up there. I apologize about that. So, excuse me for a second while I light a cigarette and get ready to talk about this. Because what grinds my gears this week is... The AEW media scrum and all the fallout that was involved in it. Ladies and gentlemen, during the AEW media scrum, because AEW wants to be UFC apparently, CM Punk let out all of the dirty laundry and talked about what the uh, the Bucks and Kenny Omega did to him and Adam Page did to him by giving the dirt sheets some BS about him and Colt Cabana. He talked very badly about Colt Cabana. Talked very badly about the entire company, except for like John Moxley and Brian Danielson and maybe one other person. And he went on this tirade for 20 minutes. And the result was the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega going to his locker room. And whatever happened, apparently they got into a fight that led with CM Punk punching one of the Bucks in the eye. A steel throwing a chair at one of the other bucks and then biting Kenny Omega. And all six of them, all five of them, excuse me, being suspended. 
the suspension came this Wednesday on Dynamite. And because of that, CM Punk was stripped of the World Heavyweight title. And the Bucks and Kenny Omega were stripped of the trios tag, tag titles. So we just sat through all this bis, this bullshit that went on it all out for nothing. Moxley should have kept the title, and the Elite should have never been in the trios matchup then. Basically what happens is Tony Khan allowed his inmates to run his asylum. Because during the media scrum, he sat there like an idiot, smiling and looking nervously into the crowd. And basically just sat there doing nothing, like an idiot. Now, I understand. I get it. You don't want to interject. You don't want to be disrespectful. But you got the guy who holds your world title in your company shitting on your company, saying that he works with fucking children and he hates his life. This is classic CM Punk again because he does this in every company he works for. And all you could think to do, Tony, is suspend them. All you could think to do is strip the titles and start another damn tournament and have another trios match and start from square one again. There have been so many stories going around, so many different things being said about this fight and about what happened that night. It's ridiculous. What's also ridiculous is, is listen to this. CM Punk quotes from the AEW media scrum our locker room for all its wisdom and brilliance it has isn't worth shit when there's an empty-headed idiot who's never done anything for this business and do public interviews and say I don't really take advice he's talking about hangman hangman page he also said that in 2022 I haven't been friends with this guy since I was at least 2014 late 2013 the fact that I have to sit up here with irresponsible people who call themselves EVPs that couldn't manage a fucking target who spread lies and bullshit to put into the media that I got someone fired when I have fuck all to do with it. He's talking about the Young Bucks. If you're an EVP, you don't try to middle your top baby face. Try to get your niche audience that's in the internet to hate him for some made-up bullshit. He's talking about Kenny Omega there. Now, I'm not siding with either one. The Bucks and Kenny Omega were wrong for going to his locker room and it leading to a fight. And CM Punk was 100% wrong for bitching and moaning during a media scrum. But I'm placing the blame solely on Tony Khan here. If this is all real. Because in all truth and honesty, ladies and gentlemen, I honestly feel this is a work. I feel that this is Crash TV at its best. This is blurring the lines of what's real and what's fake. This is Tony Khan trying to get people to watch AEW. I'm willing to believe that in a couple days when the ratings come out, we will see that this episode of AEW was probably the most watched episode of all episodes for AEW. And that going forward, he's going to continue this. Going forward, he's going to try and blur the lines to make you think that all of his wrestlers hate each other and that in a moment's notice, one of them could leave or be fired or quit or be suspended. And he's not afraid to take a title off of them. Now, I know this worked back in the Attitude Era. Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff were famous for it. Hell, Eric Bischoff wrote a damn book about it. Controversy creates cash. But in 2022, your fans aren't stupid. In 2022, if it comes out 
that you did this as a work, the fans are never going to look at you the same. Because they're going to first say, oh, my God, they worked me. Oh, God, this was this was fake. Wow. And then they're going to say, this is bullshit, because now I don't know what to believe anymore. I don't know what I'm going to look at anymore. If this is all fake and all work, well done, Mr. Khan, for your small, minuscule ratings boost for a couple of weeks, and then probably dropping back down. Now, I get it. You've been getting a million viewers every week. That's fine and well. But you need consistency. You need to raise up that number. Just because you're number one in cable between 18 to 39 doesn't really mean anything. There are more older people and much more younger people than 18 to 39. And none of them care to watch your product. So maybe get smart. Start doing the right thing. Start letting somebody else book your show. Stop letting your wrestlers do whatever the fuck they want. The funny thing about all of this, though, the real BS bullshit thing is, is that people a couple of weeks ago were saying that Eddie Kingston's a bad seed. Eddie Kingston was wrong for trying to go after Sammy Guevara. Eddie Kingston's always got to cross the bear in a company and he always burns his bridges. Funny. I don't see Eddie Kingston making a problem. But I do see CM Punk, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega making a problem. And I see Adam Page being lumped into that because he's part of the elite. I don't think Adam Page really did anything wrong. I think Adam Page did exactly what he was told to done by the EVPs of the company. So if this is real, Tony Khan, I do applaud you, but it's not going to last long if this is going to be a ratings boost. And if it's BS and it's all the work, then I applaud you. But again, make it consistent and make sure that we're entertained throughout. So with that being said, I want to thank you guys for joining me on another edition of You Smell What the Arch is Cooking. I will see you next week when we'll be back to our regular scheduled programming of AEW, NXT, and NWA. And remember, listen to all the great shows that are here on the WrestleNet Radio. And I will see you next time on If You Smell What the Arch is Cooking.